Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The Premier pushing back on testifying at the Emergencies Act inquiry. New municipal zoning laws have been announced. I speak to a new but familiar face at Hamilton City Hall. Find out how Mac Kids is coping with rising cases of RSV. When will the interest rate hikes come to an end? And it's part three in our series with JFE Soji Power Canada. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Big news over the last number of days regarding the Emergencies Act inquiry. Um, in relation to the provincial government, there's a bit of a twist. We believe that this is a policing matter and not a political matter, Mr. Speaker. This, uh, of course, is a, uh, a federal commission of inquiry uh, into the federal government's decision to invoke the emergency, the Federal Emergencies Act. At the same time, we are providing assistance to the inquiry by providing key cabinet documents and ensuring that uh, uh, witnesses are available to speak to uh, certain specifics, Mr. Speaker. So that is Ontario Government House Leader Paul Calandra explaining why Premier Doug Ford is now legally challenging a request that he testify under oath before the Emergencies Act inquiry, which is finding out why the federal government used its unprecedented uh, act to uh, clear out all those convoy protesters in Ottawa earlier on this year. So what's going to happen now? Colin DeMello is our Queen's Park Bureau Chief of Global News and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Colin, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. A lot of layers to this story. Maybe we'll start with uh, Mr. Calandra's comments. Your, your thoughts on what he had to present yesterday. Yeah, so the central argument here being made by the Ford government is that the Emergencies Act inquiry isn't about the Ontario government. It's about the federal government. It's about their use of the Emergencies Act and whether they were justified in actually using that unprecedented measure to end the Ottawa occupation, which is why they're saying, you know, they don't want to testify because they say they don't need to testify. Their argument is that the inquiry doesn't need the testimony of Premier Doug Ford in order to determine whether, you know, the federal government was justified in its use of the Emergencies Act. Now, the commission itself has argued that they have reviewed the 800 pages of testimony that the Ford government has given them, and they've determined that, you know what, Doug Ford and Sylvia Jones, who was the Solicitor General at the time, would be able to provide evidence that would be relevant to the commission's mandate. Remember, if the federal government um, was justified or was not justified, the question is, you know, could certain actions that uh, the Ontario government, if they did certain things, uh, could that have ended the occupation, therefore, you know, making the eliminating the need for the Emergencies Act altogether? I think that's what they might be trying to determine here. But the Ford government is saying absolutely not. They don't want to testify and they don't see the need to testify. Documents filed in federal court suggest that if Ford testifies, quote, irreparable harm will occur. What's your read on that? Yeah, well, I'm not sure exactly where they're going with a lot of this. I mean, the, the argument that they are making in front of the court here is that Doug Ford and Sylvia Jones have parliamentary privilege. And parliamentary privilege is a, a you know, a really old kind of law that's been on the books. It you know, is, is an import from uh, the British Commonwealth uh, parliamentary system. It essentially means that, as an example, the premier can say something relatively defamatory about his opponents within the legislature uh, and he can't get sued for it. Uh, that you know, members of uh, provincial parliament can't get called to jury duty while the official, uh, while the uh, Ontario legislature is in session, uh, and that they can't be compelled to testify in 
any kind of court proceedings, again, while the legislature is in session. So uh, we're not sure of exactly what their calculus is here behind the scenes, other than, you know, they may be concerned or worried about whatever their decision-making process may or may not have been during those initial days of the convoy, uh, that could maybe potentially be a bit embarrassing. And now all of the other opposition parties in Ontario, particularly those MPPs who come from Ottawa, you know, they are uh, you know, basically daring the government to go in and testify, asking them what they're afraid of, telling them that they should be participating in this process because it is... You know, you know, after all, there to inform the public of what all of their governments were doing during a very consequential time in Ottawa. Got a couple more minutes with Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at Global News. Time is really of the essence here because the province has asked the federal court to hear its uh, application next Tuesday. The inquiry, the, the Emergencies Act inquiry, expected to wrap up in about a month. Will we learn sometime next week on whether or not the Mr. Ford and, and Ms. Jones will be testifying? Yeah, so there are a few key dates here. You mentioned the end of the inquiry, which is coming up. That is an important key date, because if they take this to court and the commission, do they have the resources to continue to fight this and challenge this in court? And will that distract from their main mission of doing the work of the actual inquiry? Uh, You know, can the premier um, basically tie this up in court until the commission's mandate actually ends at the end of the month? Um, The second date is November the 10th. November the 10th at 9.30 a.m. is the date that, if nothing else you know, interferes with it, that Doug Ford is actually scheduled now to testify in front of this commission. That's the date he was summoned uh, for to testify in front of the commission. And then November 1st, that's the date that Doug Ford is hoping to have this uh, new appeal uh, heard in front of um, a, a, an Ontario judge. And so that's kind of the series of events, events that we're looking at here. If they're successful next month, uh, next week, uh, you know, that will determine the, the rest of the course of the events. But we don't know just yet whether November 1st is actually a date that they'll uh, get to hear their uh, motion in front of a judge. Um, it's just a request at this point. But uh, there's a lot coming up in the next few days. So November is going to be uh, you know, quite an interesting month. Very much so. Colin, thanks for breaking it all down with us. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That is Colin DeMello, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at Global News, with the latest greatest on the Emergencies Act inquiry and the reluctance of the Premier and former Attorney General to attend that hearing. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There simply is not enough. We're in the middle of a housing supply crisis, a crisis that's rooted in a clear problem. There simply is not enough homes being built in Ontario today. The solution is equally clear that we will we need more homes built faster. That is Ontario Housing Minister Steve Clark. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Well, in an effort to substantially increase the housing supply in this province, the Ford government yesterday announcing sweeping housing changes that are going to override municipal zoning laws. A lot of different initiatives have been launched or will be launched in regards to development charges, more units on residential lots, uh, freezing uh, new home construction fees, rent-to-own programs, and on and on and on. Is this the plan that will boost the housing supply, will create more affordable housing, will get more people into homes? 
Big question mark there. Jim Dunn is the director of the Canadian Housing Evidence Collaborative and an urban geography professor at McMaster University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jim, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thank you. What are your thoughts on what Housing Minister Steve Clark had to uh, present yesterday? Well, you know, uh, really, really broad, sweeping changes, um, lots and lots of uh, things to dig into there. Um, I, I think the emphasis on supply is is appropriate, but uh, it's apt, I should say, but it's uh, it's limited as well. I think we also need to think about demand stuff. And, you know, I saw good things and I saw bad things, uh, or at least worrying things in there, too. So let, let's start with the good things. What are uh, What's hitting the right notes in this legislation? Well, I think promising is the ability to build more units on lots. Um, I would like to see it go further. I thought it was a little timid. Um, m- many municipalities already have the pretty much those exact same things for accessory dwelling units, so two to three units on the same lot. It limits it to the same square footage. And the fact is we can build quite a bit more square footage on the typical single detached uh, dwelling lot. And ov- all over the GTA, in fact, there's hundreds of such buildings that were built in a previous era that you can't build anymore because of restrictions and those restrictions remain in place. So I would have liked to see it go up to like five or six units. In terms of the worrying aspects of the legislation that uh, Mr. Clark had to present yesterday, what comes to mind for you? Well, I think the big one is the the conservation authorities and uh, essentially restricting some of the influence that the conservation authorities have on new development in greenfield land. So now they have only commenting powers. They don't have as much power to, uh, to limit new development and, you know, the chance for, um, for a, a blunder, if you like, uh, that has generational impacts is, uh, is I think, pretty large there. Floodplains, uh, environmentally sensitive areas and so forth uh, could be threatened. And then I guess the other one that uh, I was a little bit uh, concerned about is rent replacement. So it's previously in, under legislation, uh, a developer that was going to demolish rental units had to replace those units and so that we continue to have a, a robust rental stock. And that is no longer a restriction. And so that actually seems to be kind of at odds with some of the uh, some of the emphases within the, uh, the the announcement. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Jim Dunn, director of the Canadian Housing Evidence Collaborative and an urban geography professor at McMaster University. We're talking about uh, new municipal zoning laws that have been presented in um, the provincial legislature. We have a number of different items that we've already addressed in terms of reducing developer charges, allowing more units in in one residential lot, freezing, reducing exempting fees associated with new home construction. As I mentioned, there's rent-to-own programs associated with this. Among all of those, and a whole lot more, is there one game-changer among those initiatives? Well, I think the development charges one is a really good one. I mean, it's aimed at affordable uh, housing developments, and I think that's huge because that certainly contributes a lot to um, to the cost of units. And uh, and what I hope is the government will have some funding behind that as well, because that's going to put a bit of a hole in the budgets of municipalities because they certainly depend on development charges. I guess another thing that was that was promising to. Uh, and we'll see exactly how the details play out, <clears throat> was uh, restrictions on third-party appeals um, to the uh, the land tribunal. So um, that basically says if somebody wants to do a development in the past, it used to be any third party could oppose it and take it uh, uh, to the Ontario Land Tribunal. And now that there's some restrictions on that. And so that'll eliminate um, NIMBY kinds of reactions to um to even just small-scale developments. There could be one, uh, whether it's a big hurdle or a small hurdle, I think it's a hurdle nonetheless. That's the shortage of skilled tradespeople that we have to build these homes. Could this potentially derail any progress that we see? 
Yeah, for sure. I think that's definitely one of the things. Materials, the cost of materials has now been a big issue over the last two, two and a half years as they've been escalating. Um, so, you know, those are, are things that are kind of well outside our control. Um, so, uh, you know, again, lots lots of promising things and lots of things. Well, hopefully that doesn't have a negative consequence. We're keeping our fingers and toes crossed. Jim, thanks for your yeah. time today. Thank you very much, Rick. Take care. That's Jim Dunn, director of the Canadian Housing Evidence Collaborative. He's also an urban geography professor at McMaster University. One of those pieces of legislation or one of the tentacles in this legislation is the increased number of residential units allowed on a property. That's going to get boosted to three. So you can have your your primary home, a basement apartment, a garden house or a, a mini house, a tiny home on your lot as well. And uh, without needing bylaw amendments, which I think is key because that obviously cuts down the red tape. We know there's going to be stories of people building things in their backyards that are going to piss off their neighbors. It is bound to happen. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, there are several new people who have won a seat on Hamilton City Council, but there are some familiar faces around the table as well. One of those new faces is also a familiar face. He's a former Liberal MPP, a provincial cabinet minister, and the mayor of Flamborough back in the day. Ted McMeekin, councillor-elect Ward 15 in the city of Hamilton, joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Ted, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you doing? I am fantastic. How does it feel to be going back to City Hall after all these years? Well, it feels great. It's going to be quite a challenge, I think. Uh, but, uh, you know, what's a, what's a giant challenge except a brilliant opportunity in disguise? That's well said. You've been a part of many election campaigns, municipally, provincially. This was the first one for you post-pandemic. Did you notice a big difference? I sure did. It was the uh, most different uh, election campaign ever. It uh, was one that was not uh, uh, offered up as a uh, partisan um, uh, effort. Uh, We had to build a new team uh, uh, entirely uh, uh, community-based and uh, a lot of people. I think we had 51 uh, active uh, workers on the campaign, and it uh, it was uh, quite an experience. It was really neat. We did a lot of, uh, because of the, uh, the fear of COVID, we did a lot of uh, protected uh, visits into homes, and, uh, and uh, we called them meet and greets. We did six of those, and uh, they really, uh, really helped our campaign. Certainly a new world, but there are some familiar and long-standing issues, and uh, we'll dive into a couple of them here, including area rating. What do you foresee with this? You're in in Ward 15. Uh, yeah, we need some improved service there, but are residents in your neck of the woods and in other parts of the city willing to pay more for that service? Well, I think it depends on uh, whether the service is actually provided. This uh, area rating and uh, some related uh, tax relief in the inner city has been on the books for uh, 20-plus years. Um, My own sense is that there is a way forward uh, if we can sit down and talk uh, uh, together. Uh, uh, It's okay to disagree, but uh, we shouldn't be disagreeable about it. I think there is a way forward, and I've... uh, already spoken to a couple of counselors with uh, respect to uh, my ideas you know we're we're used to phasing in things that uh, happen and uh, or don't happen and uh, as transit is uh, is uh, provided uh, in uh, consistent with the um, 
the 10-year plan that's on the books, when the, the buses are actually there, when the routes are actually sorted out, uh, uh, if we can do a third of that plan at once, uh, perhaps we prorate uh, uh, area rating. I, I'm not entirely sure. I want to sit down, and uh, I think I have a good understanding of it, but I, but I want to sit down with my uh, council colleagues and uh, and see if we can uh, work it together to come up with a sensible, uh, honest, and authentic solution to this uh, long-standing issue. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ted McMeekin, Councillor-Elect, Board 15, City of Hamilton. And um, let's talk about this housing plan. We got some details announced yesterday by um, Minister of Housing, uh, Steve Clark, about uh, these municipal zoning laws that are being changed. They're being tweaked to allow for, in some cases, multiple dwellings on properties. Is is this the plan that's going to take us to that next level of boosting the housing supply and maybe reducing some of those prices as well? Well, perhaps. Um, <clears throat> I don't think there's any magic wand. Uh, the uh, supply and the demand uh, issue is uh, significant. There are right now about uh, 460,000 approved uh, building permits uh, across Ontario that haven't been moved forward. A part of that's because of the market and uh, interest rates. And uh, so it's kind of like a, um, a valve that gets turned on and off around housing. I think there's a lot good in what the uh, uh, province uh, is proposing. Um, I think we need to be a little cautious when it comes to heritage districts. I think there's a real worry in uh, in Waterdown, for example, which is the largest heri- has the largest heritage district in the city, that uh, you don't start popping, uh, you know, six-story buildings, uh, you know, in the middle of, uh, you know, a historic heritage uh, neighborhoods. So. Uh, I, I, I'm willing to look at it and work with it and uh, do what we can. Uh, housing is certainly a, a major issue. I've heard more parents say, look, I don't want my son or daughter living in my basement for the rest of their lives. <laughs> so we, we need to do something, and we need to do it uh, uh, together, and we need to do it fast, and we need to be serious about it. So uh, I want to see the plan rolled out and go from there. Uh, Ted McMeekin is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mr. McMeekin is the councillor-elect in Ward 15 here in Hamilton. As I mentioned, a former Liberal MPP and Provincial Cabinet Minister. Uh, with that being said, we have a mayor-elect who is the former leader of the Provincial NDP. Are you and Andrea Horvath going to be trading old war stories? Well, we're old friends, so we share old war stories all the time, uh, I, uh, Andrea and I, uh, back on the regional council days, co-chaired the uh, uh, community service and public health committee uh, back when uh, when the fight was around uh, downloading uh, and uh, social service cuts, uh, the old Harris government, and uh, we ultimately prevailed there, um, but it took a lot of effort. I, I work well with Andrea. Um, when she ran for the leadership of the uh, NDP party, I actually made a donation to her campaign, and that became quite controversial <laughs> with my, uh, my colleagues. And, uh, you know, I said, look, it's uh, one of her people or my people and uh, vice versa. And, uh, you know, it's for coffee and donuts. Uh, you know, relax. Uh, you know, take a deep breath here. Uh, it takes courage to run for the leadership, and she did that. And I uh, was very affirming of her move at that time. So... We are friends. Uh, we talked uh, several times together. Uh, we will be working in tandem on a number of uh, issues, and I look forward to uh, to working with her. Well, we wish you the best uh, representing Ward 15 and the City of Hamilton at City Hall. Ted, thanks for the time. Enjoy your day.
You're welcome. You too. And uh, all, all the best. Uh, thanks to everybody who voted. And uh, let's hope we can develop a shared sense of purpose down at City Hall. And that, that means treating each other with dignity and respect and moving our, our great city forward. That would be nice. Thank you, Ted. Okay. Ted McMeekin, Councillor-Elect, Ward 15, City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, you've probably heard the term RSV or the acronym RSV. Cases of it, it's a respiratory virus. Cases of it in young children are apparently on the rise here in Canada. So what should we know? And, And in particular, what should parents know? about RSV. Bruce Squires is the president of McMaster Children's Hospital and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mr. Squires, good morning. How are you? Hi, uh, good morning, Rick. I'm doing I'm doing well, thanks. I hope you're doing well as well. I'm I'm fine. How would you describe RSV? Well, RSV is is one of a, a number of viruses that uh, really are, are are out there in our society um, often on a seasonal basis. But in the case of RSV, it's it's a uh, an infection generally of the lungs and the respiratory tract um, and probably more common in in younger children most children are infected by the by the age of two at some point with uh, with RSV it's one that uh, it's an it's a virus that in some cases can cause a more severe infection including in particular in uh, in in the younger children uh, babies under 12 months maybe a little bit older, um, and so sometimes that will require uh, hospitalization. Uh, RSV is one of the viruses that, uh, that we, uh, we look to, and certainly public health across, across, around the world and in, here in Ontario look to track to, to understand um, the, uh, the strain on children's health, but then, of course, also on the health system. What uh, what should parents be looking for in terms of symptoms? What does RSV symptoms look like? Well, the thing, they're com- they're similar to the kinds of symptoms that uh, we associate with colds. We associate sometimes with flu that we associate uh, as well now with uh, with COVID. So you know they can can sometimes present as a congested or a runny nose, a dry cough, um, often. Uh, uh, there may be a, a fever, a low-grade fever or something becomes higher, sore throat, sometimes sneezing, uh, sometimes headache. And so, um, you know, parents won't necessarily be able to distinguish what's the particular virus that is, uh, is causing those symptoms in their children. And, um, you know, as we're in that, uh, that time of year where, uh, where flu virus begins to become active, uh, we know that uh, there is some COVID in the community, and we also have RSV. Uh, really, the the uh, the advice to, to parents is, as you see, uh, the typical sy- symptoms in your children. You're gonna see if you can manage them at home with really the same approaches that you generally take. But if if those symptoms become uh, more significant in terms of the fever, the length of time for a for a cough or a running. Uh, a runny nose, then uh, um, you may uh, want to uh, to seek further medical attention uh, from primary care, from an urgent care clinic, and certainly if the, if ever your child is experiencing significant difficulty breathing or an extended uh, or particular high fever, then um, you may want to uh, to, to visit uh, in our case McMaster Children's Hospital emergency department um, or in a 
of course, uh, in a medical emergency, uh, our advice always would be to call 911. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Bruce Squires, president of McMaster Children's Hospital. We're talking about RSV, this respiratory virus that's making the rounds, so much so that we're hearing that some U.S. hospitals are overwhelmed. Uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada reporting a rising number of cases here. What's the situation like at Mac Kids Hospital? Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid the, uh, the the situation right now is particularly strained at, at McMaster Children's, and uh, that's not specific to RSV at this point. We have a have a, a, a small number of cases, and as I consult with my colleagues around the province, that's not yet uh, a pressure point um, in terms of of either uh, visits to our emergency departments or the uh, the rate of hospitalization. However. When we put all the other things together, the uh, the impact of delays of care over the last couple of years certainly um, increased experiences of challenges and, and crisis in mental health. And then in particular, we're seeing really high viral activity in, in general across the province. At MacKids in September, our, our uh, emergency department volumes were 20% higher uh, than, uh, than in a typical year. And uh, right now, we're very strained. This morning, um, we have uh, we have 17 children who have been admitted to the hospital, but are still in our ED as we haven't yet been able to uh, uh, to free up a bed um, on the floor. Yesterday, our pediatric inpatient beds were were over occupancy by 130 percent. We had 130 uh, percent occupancy, so the the number of children requiring a hospital stay. Um, for a little bit of treatment is significantly higher than uh, we've ever experienced at uh, at this this time of year. Uh, 200 uh, visits to our emergency department uh, yesterday, and uh, a significant, a more significant. I shouldn't I shouldn't uh, over, overstate it, but a more significant than normal proportion of those children did require some hospitalization. So, it is fair to to say, Rick, that. Uh, we are uh, we're particularly strained in children's hospitals here in, in Hamilton and across Ontario this year, more so than I think any of us really remember. And uh, uh, we have some concerns as we continue to, uh, to go through uh, the rest of this fall with the potential increase in flu virus activity, um, RSV, as you've been focusing on, and, and also uh, additional impact on COVID. So, you know, there's a couple things I would say that are important to do. Certainly, we're working with counterparts across the province and with the provincial government uh, to identify uh, strategies to help to to, uh, to, to support uh, our, our capacity and to, uh, to really ensure the best care for parents. Uh, I, would, uh, I would certainly encourage to consider um, and uh, ideally to ensure that your children are, are vaccinated for uh, uh, both this year's flu uh, virus and, uh, and for COVID. And, you know, now's the time of the year that if we, uh, if we really want to protect our children and uh, really all of our society urge that uh, particularly in indoor spaces, masking um, does make a lot of sense. Uh, so, you know, I just leave those messages uh, because uh, 
with your, uh, your your comment about how things are going at the or your question about how things are going at the hospital. It is very strained right now, Rick, and uh, um, we really want to ensure that we're able to protect and maintain the best care for uh, for children and youth and youth in Hamilton and around the region. Well, we offer uh, you and the staff and uh, all the healthcare professionals at Mac Kids Hospital and the patients, of course, as well. The uh, the best of luck in the the weeks and months ahead, Bruce. Appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for your interest, Rick. Take care. That is Bruce Squire, president of McMaster Children's Hospital. Should mention there's no vaccine for RSV. And what we're hearing is that most cases don't require a doctor's visit or, or even a hospitalization. They usually clear up in about a week or two. A lot of rest, a lot of fluids. And there you know, are some severe instances out there. Children may be given some oxygen or some IV fluids. Um, and uh, and, they're on, and they're on the road to recovery. It, it doesn't sound to be that serious, although it is, you know, hampering things in the hospital system with what they've already been dealing with, with capacity issues and burnout and the like. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Most of it is now domestically generated inflation. And this prime minister is responsible for that inflation. Why would he take responsibility? Why isn't the Conservative Party that says it cares about affordability stepping up to support on rental and dental? Why won't they support Canadians? Now, war words continue in the House of Commons between Conservative leader Pierre Poiliev and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as the Bank of Canada tries to tackle rising inflation. Many experts are anticipating yet another interest rate increase today. It would be the sixth in a row, the question is, how high will it go? Paul Shelostowski is a senior wealth advisor at Meridian Credit Union and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Paul, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. I guess we're waiting moments from now. The Bank of Canada is going to uh, make its announcement. Many pundits and experts thinking a half a percentage point, others saying three quarters of a point. What are you hearing? What are you anticipating? Yeah, the... Uh the consensus still seems to be a 70% chance of uh, 0.75 increase to bring it from 3.25 up to 4. Uh, that's ba- basically what's been priced into the market. But there are a lot of people that are saying that's a little too much too fast and 50 basis points might be a more prudent call. Are these uh, increases A, going to slow down and B, eventually stop sometime, please? Yeah, the expectation really for what's priced into the market is to stop it around 4.5%. So there is still more room to go, but they don't want it to go too far because then it becomes very restrictive and can end up doing more harm than good. Well, and to that effect, I mean, this has an impact on millions of Canadians. We're, we're seeing it already. Uh, people that are coming in wanting to, they their mortgage is up for renewal you know, they can see perhaps an extra $300 by weekly payment for a mortgage that they've had for quite a long time. So there is a lot of shock that we're seeing in, in the consumers. Is this going to force many people, I would assume so, it's going to force many people to look at alternative income sources or um, g- going after more credit in terms of making ends meet? Yeah, so some of the things we've seen is maybe people are renewing their mortgage just for one year, taking a wait and see approach or extending their amortization so they can keep their payments the same. Even though the interest rates have gone up, there are ways to keep the payments lower, but not everybody can can qualify for that either. So there is a lot of challenges. Paul Shelosowski is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Paul is a senior wealth advisor at Meridian Credit Union. You mentioned the the one-year mortgage. Um, that's obviously a, a fixed rate? 
Yeah, it's a, we, we can do a fixed one-year mortgage. And so with the idea with that is that they want to um, they want to see where the rates are going to be in a year from now, and hopefully they're on their way back down. How does a family make sure that in the months to come, because as, uh, as I mentioned earlier on in the show, there might even be another interest rate hike later on this year, and, and who knows what's, what's in store for 2023, how does a family cope with this, knowing that uh, you know, the prices are going up, uh, we're paying more for gasoline and food and all this? Is, is getting a budget together the first step in, in figuring all this out? Yeah, we always recommend a budget even when interest rates are low or your income is more than enough to cover your debts because it's hard to be financially secure if you don't know where your money is coming from and going to. So this just brings even more of a magnifying glass on that issue that if you're looking for that extra $300 a month, you've got to be able to pair away at something to make that balance out. So to get your financial house in order, you should be obviously looking for ways to trim the fats for, for things you don't need. Yeah, it could even be things like subscriptions. Everybody's got, whether it's Netflix or Apple or Spotify, some things like that. You start to chip away at that. All of a sudden you start to find you might have a surplus. So what is your best guess on what happens within the next, let's just say, six to 12 months, six months to a year? Where, where are we going to be at? So the rate's most likely will plateau around that four and a half percent mark from from what the projections are and the reason being again they wanted to get back down under three percent to be more accommodative to make it easier for people to borrow and pay their bills so if it can get back down to three percent in 12 months from now that would be ideal the only thing that would stop that is that if inflation continues to go at a high pace they could go past 4.5 and even a 5%, but that would be that would be an even bigger challenge. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of pain for a lot of people for sure. Paul, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate your time today and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, you too. That is Paul Shelostowski, Senior Wealth Advisor at Meridian Credit Union with some analysis on where the Bank of Canada may go, not only today, but in the months ahead. Uh, I, I think long story short, there is going to be, as I said, a lot more pain for a lot of people, unfortunately. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. JFE Soji Power Canada five-part series. Today, we're looking at the workforce needs and the educational requirements within Canada's energy transformation sector. And here to explain that is George Gautreaux, the Director of Operations at JFE, Power, uh, JFE Soji Power Canada. George, good morning. Welcome to the show. Morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Let's maybe before we dive into workforce and education needs, let's refresh our listeners' memory on what JFE Sochi Power Canada is all about. Yeah, so we're uh, a local manufacturer in Burlington here. We have two facilities. Uh, we currently employ about 455 people, um, 370 or so are, are shop floor operators, and the rest of us are supporting that team to produce product for the power industry. We're making power transformer components that are going into primarily pole top, pad mount, and power generation and distribution products. Okay, so when it comes to the workforce, what do you need? Well, we have a lot of needs. Uh, we're, a, we're a growing business, and uh, like uh, a lot of uh, businesses out there today, um, there seems to be a larger demand than there is supply of, of people to fill those important roles. So uh, we have needs uh, in, in all kinds of areas, in engineering, uh, in our production teams, uh, our maintenance teams, uh, as well as some leadership opportunities. So 
uh, just about uh, all facets of our business are looking to to add people. Why is there such a shortage of workers in this sector? Well, I, I don't know about this sector in particular. It's really, uh, from what uh, our understanding is, talking to peers and, and doing research and understanding, there's just a, uh, an overall um, shortage of, of employees uh, in all uh, industries, whether it's service, manufacturing, uh, uh, you know, or any type of, uh, uh, of industry like that. Uh, there just seems to be a, a real supp- a shortage of, of uh, employees. One of the uh, tactics that JFE Sochi Power Canada is using is what uh, you guys are calling a blue carpet event, which happens next week, which you'll be able to showcase the company, but also say, hey, if you want to come work for us, come and check it out. Can you give us some details on this uh, blue carpet event? Yeah, it's going to be a great event uh, next week, November 3rd. We're going to be hosting here from 2 to 8 p.m. And uh, we're going to bring people in, uh, give them an opportunity to talk to uh, various uh, individuals in our business uh, to get an understanding of what the opportunities are, uh, what our culture is all about. Uh, There's going to be some plant tours so people have an opportunity to go out and see both of our facilities uh, and and see what the work is like and see what the products that we're making, the equipment that we're using to give people... uh, a really good opportunity to uh, get an impression of what it's like to to be part of the JFE team. And what location is it being held at? That's going to be at 845 Laurentian Drive. Okay. Let's talk about educational requirements. Our guest, George Gotro, is the Director of Operations at JFE Sochi Power Canada here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. When it comes to education, you have you know young students who might be in high school or might be contemplating their post-secondary education thinking, what should I do? When it comes to this industry, this sector, from an educational standpoint, what is needed? Well, it uh, depends on what people are really interested in. You know, from an engineering standpoint, uh, we need engineers of all disciplines, whether that's manufacturing engineering, uh, electrical engineering, uh, design engineering of our products, um, process improvement engineering. So uh, we're always looking and, and have a, quite a, a strong team and always looking to develop that team and, and enhance it uh, with uh, many disciplines. Uh, in terms of our maintenance, uh, there's a world, <laughs> or at least a North American shortage of of trades, of skilled trades. It seems to be very uh, limited uh, enrollment in those, uh, you know, uh, electricians, uh, millwrights, and, and those kinds of opportunities. And uh, those are great careers that I think people are missing out on. And um, and uh, there's lots of opportunity there. Uh, and it's quite, um, you know, quite profitable uh, in terms of uh, what people are earning in those fields. And um, we've just started three apprentices here that we've hired uh, internally they were former employees in our operations, uh, and we've given them the opportunity, and we're going to support them to work through to get their certification. Uh, we have two electricians and one millery currently. Yeah, we've been talking about the skilled trades uh, shortage on this program, and and you know educational programs and institutions that are trying to you know boost up those numbers. Uh, it, it's not easy, and it doesn't happen fast either, does it? No, it's uh, it's uh, it takes a, a big effort. Uh, I think our government needs to do more to promote and support those trades. Uh, I think people are unaware of of what opportunities there are to to get into some really good, uh, you know, uh, careers uh, in skilled trades. Is there a lot of competition within the industry that JFE Soji Power Canada is in? Oh, absolutely, uh, and it's it's growing. The the competition is is ever growing. Uh, we welcome that. We think that that's good for for the industry to. Um, 
you know, challenge uh, businesses like ourselves to be better, to offer more to employees, to offer more for our clients, to invest, to make our um, our processes uh, much better, faster, uh, and to produce better parts. So the competition is is uh, is ever growing, and uh, it's a good opportunity for us to increase our, our game and to improve what we're doing here. There's also some exciting times ahead. We know the electrification of humanity is, I mean, we're on the, we're on the horizon of it. We can see, you know, what this is going to look like, how how monumental this is going to be. Uh, and for any, yeah, whether you're in post-secondary now or, or high school student looking to get into an industry that is going to have, you know, a, a, a job lifespan that is going to carry on for their life, this the, the time to strike is is now to get involved in energy transformation. Absolutely. I've, I've been here for almost 21 years and I've never seen a, a turndown. Uh, we've seen some slower periods, but never a turndown. Uh, and uh, we had about 120 people when I started here. Now we're over 450 and growing and we see no slowdown in this industry for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a unique uh, uh, business because, you know, the demand for electricity, as you say, is, is ever increasing. It's a great story, and it's happening right here in our community, right over the bay in Burlington at JFE Soji Power Canada. George, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. I really appreciate it. George Cottrell is the Director of Operations at JFE Soji Power Canada. You can find out more details online, jfesojipower.com. That's J-F-E-S-H-O-J-I Power. Com. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.